One of the things that is, um, I'm not going to say this is pushed in Scripture, but it's certainly taught in Scripture, is the notion that throughout our lives, we are continuing to be faithful, and not just faithful, but growing. God wants us to continue to, to be growing, learning, changing, transforming, and really being transformed by His Word more than anything else. So I hope that's happening in your life, that you're being transformed by His Word, by your relationship with Him, that you're becoming a different person as time goes on. Well, there's at least two people who are part of our fellowship here who for years have been separated from us for various reasons, uh, typically in the case of health. And so in the case of New Sue Newfeld, Sue is not able to be here. She, oh, I don't know, I'd, I've been here probably for a year or so, and uh, Sue's health got bad enough that she just wasn't able to get out and, uh, and hasn't been here really for the majority of the time that I've been here for sure. And then several years ago, Marshall Hare got to a point in his life when he just isn't able to drive anymore. He can't get out the way he used to. And even though Marshall was one who served here and actually uh, did the books, did the treasurer's job uh, at our church family for the better part of three decades, uh, he isn't able to be here any longer. But both these people, Sue and Marshall, are people who continue to grow and be what God wants them to be. And so this morning, we have a video where John Casella went and interviewed Sue and interviewed Marshall, just talking a bit about faith and the importance of all of that to them and the notion of continuing to grow. So we'll watch a video. Uh, maybe get my glasses over there in the red case. To me, it's being a learner and a follower. So to follow Jesus is to learn and follow. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Like any relationship, I talk to him, I listen to him, I read scripture, I talk to other people about him, I try to imagine what it's like to be him, I try to learn things about him. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. I've learned that God really, really loves us, that grace is totally amazing, that I need to really trust Jesus and obey him. I know that seems obvious, but sometimes you have to learn that. And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. I've learned acceptance and mercy and grace for myself and for other people. I've learned um, what it is to live out scripture. You hear things and you learn them and you say, yeah, that sounds good, but it's in the experience of life and in the relationship with other people that you really begin to learn what scripture is saying to you. And I've, I've just learned to love the family of God. It's an amazing gift. And do things for others, help them, encourage them to be faithful to God. And that's my motto in life. And I've learned that the whole story is not about me. It's really about Jesus. When I focus on myself, I'm robbed. When I focus on Jesus Christ, I'm filled. And God will take care of me. Having this sense of purpose for my life 
and a sense of direction for my life and a sense of eternity in my life. We don't know what is there, but I know one thing, it'll be good. And I'm ready to get there. I know I'm going home. That's really big to me. I know I'm going home. And I know that God sustains me through the tough stuff. You know, he blesses me through the places where I feel like I have no hope. I had polio when I was two years old. So I've never known what two good legs would be like. And God has looked after me all these years. Then Jesus Christ really becomes my hope. Take care. I love you all. Love God, and I hope you follow my footsteps. Yeah, one thing left I want to say. Go ahead. I can't wait to see Jesus face to face, to see his glory, to see his eyes looking at me, to be in his presence forever. That's what I can't wait for. For me, that's, that's the ultimate blessing. Well, good morning. It's still morning, barely. And I, I said the, in the first service, too, I don't think it's fair that I have to preach after that because I don't think I can add much to it. Uh, what an amazing testimony from both Marshall and Sue. Tell me, what, what did you hear from Sue and Marshall? What were some of the themes that they touched on? Say again. Trust and faith. faith. Okay. Yeah. How they love God. So relationship, faith. What else? Always learning. Yep. Right. Sue said, it's not about me. And if I make it about me, what, what, what did she say? Something like I... I'm robbed. Yeah, it's about God. And the always learning thing that John touched on. Um, they mentioned action, doing, doing good for others, um, continuing on, practicing on. What else did you hear? There was a big theme that both of them talked about towards the end. God protects us. God guides us. God. Yeah, they both talked about suffering a little bit and, and being carried through that. What else? Yeah. Going home, there was something toward which they were moving. Sue talked about seeing the face of Jesus. That's pretty powerful, right? Um, <clears throat> Marshall started to mention his legs and not, never having known what it's like to have two good legs. And I think the implication was he's looking forward to knowing what it's like to have two good legs. There's something towards which he's going, but they're not there yet. And there's this growth and there's this continuation all along the way. I want to read something from Philippians 3. So turn with me to Philippians 3. And I don't think... Kelly, did you... Is Kelly in herself? I, Kelly in the first service, he blew the whole sermon. He spoiled, he spoiled it right from the start because he told you what the point of the sermon, which was um, discipleship is a lifelong process. So there. Now you know what the sermon is. That's the point. And I'll just spoil it for myself here. 
So now that we got the point out of the way, let's back into it. This is Philippians 3. So Sue and Marshall were talking about this. Here's what Paul had to say about a long time ago. Um, And Paul is dealing with a situation with the church in in Philippi. At least two different things are going on. And I, I love this because these are the same kinds of, these are the same scales of things that we face. Okay, first is big scale thing. There's, there's the groups out there, the Judaizers in their situation who were saying, unless, if you're a Christian, unless you behave and follow all of the law of the Jewish uh, custom as well, well, you can't really be the people of God. And Paul's dealing with people who aren't from a Jewish background as well, and he's arguing back against that and saying, no, actually, we are the true people of God now. So he starts out with that. What's the other issue? Do you know what the other issue he's dealing with? There's two camps forming in the church there around two women, uh, Syntyche and Yodia. And they're arguing with each other. And he, he ends the letter with an appeal to them to reconcile their differences and to look toward the best in each other. Those 2,000 years may have passed, but those two kinds of issues are right around us all the time. Critical of whether our faith is true or not, and then relationship stuff. And the relationship stuff particularly comes right home, literally right into our homes, right? It's hard for me to be a disciple of Christ in my relationship with my wife first and foremost. It's easy for me to stand up here and do churchy things that look good. It's hard to wash the dishes, does that make sense? And Paul's kind of dealing with a situation like that where he said, you know what, you guys need to bring this, what it means to be a follower of the crucified way into your relationship with each other when it's hard. Okay, got your attention now. First, he's dealing with the first problem. If anyone thinks else, thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, listen, I've got more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, I'm in verse 6, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless, page 832 in the Pew Bible. But whatever was for my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything loss compared to the surpassing greatness of, and this is the point that Sue made so well, of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Amen. End of sermon, right? It would be. All right. I've got some my own family drama happening right here. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Amen. I'm totally on board with that half of the sentence. It's the next half that's a little bit challenging. And the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Hang on a minute. Can we just have the resurrection without the sufferings? Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says this is what he wants. He wants to be like Christ so much that he wants the whole deal. He wants the, he wants the suffering, he wants the death, and he wants the resurrection. 
That's to become like Christ. Then he goes on. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. I'm not there yet. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. I love that verse. I press on to take hold of what I can get in Christ because Christ grabbed a hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And what is the metaphor that Paul uses right there? I press on toward the goal to win the prize. And for the rest of the sermon, I'm going to do an object lesson, okay? So I'm dressed, I don't usually wear a sport jacket. Uh, But if I were to give you choices between several occupations, you tell me who I'm most dressed like right now. Businessman. Choice number one. University professor. Choice number two. Athlete. Choice number three. Everybody's picking professor, right? Okay, when I stood up here to preach this sermon, did it make you uncomfortable that I look like a, that I'm dressed like a professor? No, not at all, because our primary model for this discipleship stuff has been learning things. Transfer of information. That's not bad. We need transfer of information. But how many of you are, have gain some level of skill, gain uh, uh, some level of uh, competency in a skill. Language, music, sport. None of you. Wow. That's disappointing. I thought there was more talent here than that, but that's okay. Some of you have. You know what I'm talking. It's kind of rhetorical, right? Um, do you become a good... Do you hit a home run by reading books about batting technique? No. Is it good to read books about batting technique? Yes. If you want to improve your swing, read a book about it. That will help. But if you don't get in a batting cage and hit a thousand balls, you're not going to get a whole lot better. You got to do something, right? What about music? Um, I, I had a a teacher in high school who was a physicist and he could explain the physics of music. And he he said this himself. He said it very frustrating to me because I can explain the physics of the harmonies, but I'm tone deaf. So he could tell me all the information about music, but he couldn't sing to save his life. There's a difference between information and skill. Okay. Uh, What's the other one? I said music Oh, language. Um, I learned Japanese. And let me tell you, I read a lot about Japanese, but I couldn't communicate in Japanese until I got out there with some folks and tried, and then went back and practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced. So what I'm going to suggest is, I'm going to change clothes here in front of you. Don't be afraid. I'll do it. (laughs) I'm not stupid. I like to keep my job. <clears throat> Do you know what this is? Who said that? Who said that's right? It's a gi. Thank you for knowing the right word for it. 
Uh, this is a dogi, right? This is the, what you wear in the dojo when you're practicing a, a martial art. Okay? I'm going to put it all the way on. Make sure I don't drop anything here. Now, I'm changing this because I want you to have this visual out of the university professor-type clothes and into something that has a bit of a different take on how to master a skill. Okay, so when my son, and, when when our family was in Japan this last time, um, I had always wanted to practice Aikido, and it turned out we we got invited to join an Aikido dojo. So for three years or so, uh, four years maybe, my son and I went every week, once or twice a week, and and practice Aikido. Now, what what gives you the most information about my gi here? The belt. Okay? What do you know? Somebody tell me what you know about belts. Okay, go ahead. Just shout it out. So, wait, does keep my pants up? Well, this in this case it doesn't. The strings underneath you. But, yeah, but <laughs> we'll hope it does for your sake. Um, but, yeah, the color, right? The color's, you know, it, it's a recent development. Early martial arts didn't do this. But recently, the belts signify your rank, right? So what do you know about... This color. Yeah, brown means you're pretty good, right? What did you say, Juan? Almost good. Juan is, Juan is actually secret. Juan actually practiced Aikido. And I tried to get him up here to, to uh, do some demonstrations with me this morning, but check it out. Molly volunteered. So in a little bit, I'm going to have Molly come up here for a second. Um, but yeah, we, if you're, unless you're in a martial art, not yet, but in a minute, but you can go ahead, you can, you can come on up. Um, if you're in a martial art, yeah, if you're not in a martial art, brown is like the next after, before black belt. You're like, ooh, he's almost a black belt. And in North America, we tend to think, ooh, a black belt. I've got a black belt in karate, karate, right? Ooh, he's dangerous. In Japan, when you get your black belt, it's called your shodan. Sho is beginners. Dan is rank. You go through all of this training to get the first black belt, and now you're a beginner. Okay? So, I have ten things here. Oh, I need the remote. Well, you can just go ahead. Click once forward, Keith. Okay. Point, the, the, the top ten things I learned from um, a training kind of mastery that I think we can apply to our walk as disciples. Ten. Sometimes we think we're more advanced than we are. Hang on just a second. Okay, you looked at me though. Ooh, you probably never looked at me before and thought he looks dangerous. <laughs> why? Now why are you laughing? <laughs> I know, guy sings all the time. Can't be dangerous. And now you see a brown belt and you think, oh, he's got something there. Well, actually, I'm 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 nothing yet. I'm just a beginner, right? Four years in, and I'm just learning the basics. You don't start until you got a black belt, basically. My teacher was a fifth degree black belt, and his teacher studied under the founder. So he was, we're only three generations away from the founder of Aikido. His teacher was a ninth degree black belt, which in Aikido, in traditional Aikido, that's as high as you can go. You can get a tenth degree. Do you know how to get the tenth degree? You die. If you're, if you're an advanced ninth degree black belt, they will award you a 10th degree when you die. Which is to signify that in life, in this training, you are never finished. 
That's a good lesson for us in our following of Christ. We're not done. It doesn't matter how old or how young you are. There's still more to go. There's still more to learn. Okay, next one. Training regularly is better than trying harder. The top sensei, this top teacher in our dojo is Sakai sensei. And the guy was taller than me, which is pretty rare in Japan, thicker than me, but no fat on his body. And he was composed entirely of iron cables, tree trunk, and leather. I'm made of pencils, toothpicks, and chicken skin. It doesn't matter how hard I try to defeat him. Nothing I do in trying harder and harder is going to work. What I need to do is train. We have a mantra in our Western culture that says, if at first you don't succeed, do what? Try, try again. Sometimes we should stop trying so hard and slow down and do some conditioning and train a little bit more. Okay, next one. Number eight. First thing they teach you in Aikido is how to fall down and get back up. Uh, because a fall, if, if you don't know how to fall down, a fall can kill you. Any, any fall. If, I, if I'm on a hard surface and someone trips me and I fall back straight like this, I'm going to whack my head and jiggle my brain. And that can, that can do it. It's that quick. Right? So the first thing they teach you, because, uh, by the way, the goal of any martial art is not to fall down. It's to knock the other guy down, usually, or to hold the other guy down. Aikido is not in, it's a non-injury. You don't try to injure your opponents. You try to stop them from injuring themselves and, your, and yourself. I spend a lot of time on the ground um, because I'm so dangerous. <laughs> but the first thing they teach you is you, you're going to get knocked down sometimes. You're going to fall down. So when you fall down, they teach you, you know, you tuck in one leg and you roll and you tuck your chin in so that you roll over and land on your feet and pop back up. Last time I preached, I ended with the example of Peter and Judas. They both fell down. Judas didn't know how to get back up. The fall ended him. Peter fell just as hard, but when Jesus gave him the opportunity, he got back up. We're going to fall down sometimes. We need to know how to get back up. Number eight, number seven. We start every, every uh, Aikido session with a few minutes of just sitting silently like this, which is why my legs still bend like this. And the point of that was when something that you're not expecting comes up, instead of reacting like this, you react like this. Your first, your first reaction is composure. If we believe that the God of the universe is on our side and we believe that Jesus loved us so much to come and live like us and was so powerful that not even death could hold him down and he's on our side, then our first reaction can be composure. We can operate out of a place of confidence that God's going to take care of stuff. And then our reactions are very different. If someone, if someone were to come at, come at me and my first reaction is just to throw myself around, well, I've lost already because they can read my movement and toss me any which way they want. If I stop and take a deep breath and calm down, most likely what I can do is keep the fight from happening at all. Going back to Yodia and Syntyche, 
Paul's saying, you guys look at each other and see what's good in each other and let's de-escalate the fight and find out what we have in common. It's a good thing. So acting from a place of peace. Number six, humility and mutual respect are key. So my, our, our, the top teacher, Sakai Sensei, the guy who's made out of tree trunks and whatnot, um, he liked to pick on me for examples. And so he would look at me and grin. And then, oh, three goes on. And there was a, there was a point where you, you tap when it hurts. And, and part of it is to, it's communication about what, what's my tolerance level and you communicate how, how far you can push someone else without injuring them to but make them stop, right? So you tap when it starts hurting. Well, he grabs me and puts my arm in a position and I start tapping and he said, I haven't started yet. <laughs> but a guy that far ahead of me, at the end of every training session, he would bow to me as well. It didn't matter that he was so far ahead of me in skill. He showed me respect also. And I think that's, that's the way the church can operate. We look at each other and we think, oh, that person's way ahead of me, or that person's really a mess, or whatever it is that we think about each other. That person is a creation of God, and we can have respect for each other. Number five, never too old, never too young. I kind of mentioned that before. We had a three-year-old and a guy who was in his 70s who both had white belts just starting out. It doesn't matter how old you are or what your background is or what your skill level is. We can always start on this journey and we can always progress. And we had a 10-year-old who could throw me down every time. Uh, and we had Sakai Sensei who was in his 70s. Who It didn't matter how old and how, how young you were too. There was wisdom and there was skill involved. Okay, number four. Everyone can teach. One of the first things that happens as soon as you start learning, if there's someone who's ranked below you, you're expected to teach them what you know. That's the discipleship process. Because you're passing on a skill you've learned from your master and you're sharing it with someone else. Which relates to the next one, number three. We are co-learners. There's an attitude of learning this together. I don't, I don't uh, lord over my brown belt against the white belt. My job is to serve them and help them catch up to where I am. Just like my teacher's trying to help me catch up. Number two, strength from, comes from the core of the body. And this is where I'll have Molly. Where'd Molly go? You're going to come help me with something? Okay. Molly asked if she could do this a minute ago. And then I found out she's a practitioner of Hapkido, which is like Aikido with punching. Yeah. So now I'm a little nervous. I'm not sure what's going to happen here. But here, here's the point of this. Um, do you know the, did you see the move early? Okay. So. So if Molly grabs my arm and holds it as tight as she can or whatever, if, if I'm trying to move around like this, she, she can do whatever she wants to me. She can pull me down. She can twist my arm. She can break it if she knows the right move or whatever, right? Because, here, pull me around, right? So she can do this, right? Because I'm trying, my arm is trying to do all the work by itself, okay? If I do this, and my body becomes one thing, and I go in. Now, look, my little arm is pulling Molly's whole body around. And I can just turn, and she's going to keep coming with it. And I step like this and go up, she's going to go down. Because this isn't where the strength is. The strength is coming from in here. Okay? Thank you, Molly. Did you want to do something to me? Not yet. Not, not yet. 
All right. The body of Christ is like that. When we get way out over here by ourselves and are trying to do everything, we get injured. When we move as one, we can do amazing. God can do amazing things because really the the core, the strength of our body is the head, which is Christ. So that brings me to the last thing. Number one, the most important thing. My teacher, um, Japanese is my second language and I've known Japanese for, I don't know, 12 years now. can speak conversationally or whatever. Most of the time I'm okay. But my teacher, there's all this new lingo about the martial arts and stuff and he talks very fast and he's also an alienier person. So he starts explaining, we're going to do this thing. And then I start to do it. He said, yeah, but you need to focus on this over here. And also, and he's fixing this part. And I'm lost. There's too much coming at me at once. And one of the other students finally leaned over and said to me, just watch what he does. Keep your eyes on him. That's us in Christ. There is a lot of information coming at us about what's true and what's not true and what's right and what's wrong and who's right and who's wrong and how we should do this and how we should do that. If all of that gets overwhelming, then get rid of it and look at the master and imitate him. What's he doing? Get into the Beatitudes and read that stuff and then try to do it. And we try to do it as a body. That's it. I want to read this to to close and then we'll pray from Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since this is page 852, if you have a pew Bible, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. This is language about a race again. This is about a skill and training. Let us run with perseverance the, the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter or the the beginner and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning, first of all, that this um, kind of silly example doesn't get in the way of some of the deeper truths that are involved in trying to be like you, that we are all apprentices and co-apprentices of a great master, Uh, that we do, Father, need to keep our eyes on your Son, uh, and that that helps us clarify a whole lot of other things about how we can be and what we can do and even who we are. Uh, I pray that... We do respond to things and we do move together as a body. Uh, I pray that we do um, not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, but that we recognize that we are all on a journey and none of us have arrived. Uh, I pray that we do help each other. And I thank you for the many ways that this is already evident uh, in your church and around us and through us. God, give us your peace so that when things arise, uh, they don't don't completely unsettle us, but that uh, we operate out of a place where we know with confidence that you have the power and have shown it again and again to make even the worst situations into something amazing. 
And finally, again, Father, I pray that you just give us the courage to keep our eyes on your son and be more and more like him uh, all through our lives. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.